Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Good morning. I had to put my timer on. So excited to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. It's always, always an honor to share God's Word, and I do not take it lightly. And... Um, I believe God is he's wanting to get his bride ready for the season ahead. And he's preparing his bride for the season ahead. And preparation involves a lot of work. Um, it doesn't come naturally. It's never easy. But preparation is the key to moving forward. Can I get an amen? So... Um, during the holidays, I happened to be reading the book of Ruth, and this morning, I'm going to take you on a journey from the book of Ruth, and um, so if you're a man in this auditorium, please don't switch off, because there's something important for you as well. God is speaking to every single one of us this morning, and He's wanting to unpack a few things in our midst. One of the key words that the Father highlighted to me as I was spending time reading the book of Ruth uh, was so key that I'm not going to give it out. I nearly gave it out. Um, That was so key that he said, I want you to go share with my body and get them ready so that in their preparation, this key word is vital. So before we go any further, if you're taking notes, if you have any iPads, iMessages or Samsung or whatever, the title of this morning's message is, We Become What We Behold. We become what we behold. You may have heard this statement before. You may have heard this title or someone preaching along this line. But God impressed in my heart to speak on this subject this morning. As a child or a teenager, I don't know if you recollect, if your parents saying, stop hanging with such and such person because they're a bad influence on you. Or maybe your parents said, you're hanging so much with this person that you're starting to sound like this person. You're starting to behave like this person. I know I have four boys and a, 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 one young princess and I've always told them that and I've instructed them. But this one area that is true in the natural is also true spiritually speaking. One of the most important things to consider in our Christian life is the power that comes from beholding. The power that comes from beholding. Obviously, there are different forms of beholding. That which we view with our eyes, with our digital devices. We're confronted with news. We're confronted with advertising, with media, social media, sitcoms, you name it. Magazines at the checkout counter, billboards, all trying to conform us, inform us uh, in our beholding. We're living in days where numerous voices are being filled into our lives with what we read, with what we hear, with what we watch. Every day we're met with opportunity to be shaped and formed with, by what moves our heart, what drives our thought, and what captures our gaze. You know, we become changed into the likeness of the things we behold because every day we're in the process of becoming. That is why it's so important that we take note in what we are looking at. You know, some of the TV 
shows that we watch, some of the stuff we read, and some of the stuff we pay attention to. Because beholding good things, guess what? It causes us to be good. It causes us to be effective. It causes us to be a church that's on fire. But if you behold bad things and you end up in bad conversation, guess what? Our life end up mirroring those conversations. Psalms 1 says, do not sit in the company of mockers. What does mock mean? It means to ridicule, make fun, tease, to take a jab at somebody. Do you know mockers are not just unbelievers? Let me say that this morning. We can sit with believers who have a similar attitude if they haven't allowed God to change them from the inside out. I'm not sure if any of us realize to what degree you and I are affected for good or for bad by the stuff we behold every single day. That's why it's so important to pay attention who we spend time with, who we get counsel from, who we ask prayer from, who we associate with. Amen. I hope this morning that our allegiance is to Jesus and Jesus alone. I know the heart of my husband and myself and in leading this church is to draw people to Jesus. There's no, Jesus is not an added extra. It's not plus something. Jesus is it. We want you getting, beholding Jesus because the more we behold Jesus, we become more like him. And when we become more like him, we're able to walk in righteousness, in holiness, in generosity, in forgiveness. We're able to conquer our offenses. We're able to conquer our exhaustion when we behold him. Why? Because we can't dwell in the presence of God and come away unchanged. We cannot have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe and say the same old, same old. Our true identity is formed in beholding Jesus. Amen. Not magazines, not social media, not even your culture, not even your friends or peers or even family that may give you advice against, against the word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding. That word beholding, seeing him, hearing him, engaging with him one-on-one on a heart-to-heart level, continuously doing this, we are beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. You and I are transformed truly and properly when we behold him and not others. When we behold him, we come into our new identity. We come into the new creation, new creature that God intends for us to be. It's important what to take note of what we behold. Because you know, when we behold something, guess what? Whether it's good or bad, we're extracting information. We're gleaning information to become. So that, that in-between in stage is very, very important. You know, beholding and then becoming, it doesn't just happen. There's a gleaning process in the middle of it. 
And you may not be familiar with the word gleaning, but that's the word that God highlighted to me when I was reading the book of Ruth. And we're going to go on a journey discovering this story. But gleaning means to collect, to pick up, to acquire, to obtain, to gather, extract, draw. We glean from our peers. We glean from our friends. We glean from our family members. We glean from social media. We glean from TV and sitcoms. And every day we're in the process of gleaning that shapes our world, that shapes our mindsets. We need to take note of where we're gleaning from. Gleaning is a biblical concept, and it's first found in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through to 10, and it had to do with, back in the day, the law of Moses provided grain for the poor. That meant the poor and the orphan and the widow could go behind the reapers and gather grain for themselves, and the book of Ruth is all about that, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. The book of Ruth changed the course of history because she gleaned spiritually. And we're about to venture into it. Amen. So I want to encourage us this morning that gleaning from the right field sets us up into victory. It sets us up into the call of God. It sets us up into breakthrough. It sets us up to where we should be heading. So I'm asking you this morning as a church, are you ready to hear how to glean properly? So we become and behold by gleaning from the right fields. So if you have your Bibles, obviously I'm not going to go verse by verse, but chapter 1 begins with a severe famine having struck Bethlehem in the book of Ruth. Now Bethlehem is called the house of bread. It goes from being the house of bread to the house of hunger very quickly because the people weren't willing to repent. You know, and there was a man named Elimelech living at the time with his family, and he had two options. The first option was to live out what his name meant. Elimelech means my God is king. It means he could trust God and stay put and trust God for provision and ask God for repentance and stay put in the land. Or option two, take his wife and his children and leave to an ungodly city close by called Moab because of the famine. And guess what? He picked option two. He picked option two. He took Naomi and her name means pleasantness, and I'll explain to you why shortly. And they're two children, and they're left to go live in Moab. Now, this spiritual shortcut had severe consequences. Because right in chapter 1, if you're taking notes, in verse 3, we're given insight into the passing of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, which was such a big blow. And then... Being isolated in an ungodly city, the two sons end up marrying two Moabite women, non-Jewish women, which wasn't the protocol at the time. Their names were Ruth and Opa. And then Naomi thought, life seemed good. And it seems great. Ten short years later, the two boys pass pass away as well. What a devastating I cannot even begin to imagine what Naomi would have been going through, even having to lose her own two boys. 
bitter, feeling discouraged, disheartened, widowed, childless, poor. She makes a decision, guess what, to go back to Bethlehem, to go back to her people and to her God. Because she had heard uh, while living in Moab that God is visiting the people of God in Bethlehem. And she says, I must go there. I must go back to my people and to my God and to my, uh, the town. And as she makes the decision to go back to her hometown, the two daughter-in-laws get wind of it. And they say, hey, we're coming too. We're going with you. Because they had formed an, aff- formed an affection with Naomi. But Naomi said, hey, you, guys, uh, you girls have done so much for me. It's time for you to go back to your homeland. It's time to go back to your parents. It's time to go back to your gods. I don't need you following. I cannot give you anything else. Where can I? I mean, I don't even have sons to give you in marriage. I need you to go back. And this conversation went backwards and forwards about two or three, uh, two times. And on the third time, it says that Oprah weakened and she kissed Naomi and she went to her homeland. She had affection towards Naomi, but she did not need persuading to go back to her home. Whereas Ruth refused and she stayed put. I believe that that particular day when Ruth made the decision to go with Naomi to her homeland, she made a spiritual decision. And let's journey. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, And again they wept aloud, and Opa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow her, follow her back home. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn from you. It's interesting how Opa kissed her mother-in-law and Ruth Stayed. They both started at the same place. One turned back and one stayed. One went back to her gods and her people. The other forsook it all. This is such a classic scene, I think, because um, when hardships have knocked at our door, the vows we have made in a time of plenty are now being put to the test in a time of famine. I believe 2020 has been a big reveal in this way. You know, the COVID, the global shifting, the pressure to go back, the pressure to lean to our own understanding is something we have all faced, including myself. The Bible says that Opa kissed Naomi and went back to her homeland. And, I, and as I was meditating on it, you know, the person that came to mind with a similar scenario uh, and a similar commitment issue was Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. I believe a good kisser is someone who knows what to do with their lips. They show affection. And they have the appearance of commitment, but it's all surface level. <laughs> the commitment, the, <laughs> not, <laughs> the commitment level, level depends on what benefits them the most. What I want to remind us all, including myself, is that love isn't a kiss. Love demands our all, just as it demanded Jesus his all. 
It demanded Jesus. He saw love. He's staying the part, staying strong and not quitting and holding on and keep on holding on even when it seems like you don't know what the future looks like. Not, uh, Ruth didn't know what she was about to walk into. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Do you know why she did that? I believe because she, I believe because she unconsciously or consciously gleaned from Naomi. She spiritually gleaned from Naomi and she realized that it was a better choice to go to with Naomi and back to Bethlehem than to go back to her gods and her people. How crazy is that? It begs the question this morning, whose life are we allowing ourselves to be captivated by in this season? Because who we cling to, we will die for and we will live for. But this can be a good thing or a bad thing. And we need to take note. I want to, you know, for a moment, think about the action of kissing and clinging. I mean, I adore my husband. I love kissing him and I love clinging on to him. But... If you think about the action of kissing and clinging, you can kiss somebody without actually clinging onto them. You can put a peck on them. But clinging involves a whole nother level. I mean, I could get him up here and hug, but no, I'm not going to do that. Stop it. You know, you know what I want to say is that Ruth clung to Naomi. She clung out of love, compassion, desperation, and commitment because she knew it was a better choice. What Oprah gave, I believe, was lip service, but what Ruth gave was her entire life. This, this wasn't a one-day altar call response, and when the going got tough, they retreat, uh, uh, you know, retreat back to where you came from. But this was a line in the sand kind of moment where Ruth drew a line and saying, I'm not going back to my gods. I'm not going back to my people. I am going further and uh, to ahead where God intends for me to go. <laughs> in this season... It's revealing if we're kissers or clingers for Jesus. Those who made a vow with our lips or those, uh, those who made a vow with our lives. Which camp do we align ourselves under? Ruth's reply to Naomi when Naomi said, go back to your gods and your people was remarkable. I mean, it just grips me every time. I come undone every time I read it. If, you're, if you have your Bible, chapter 1, verses 16 through to 18, it says, Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, nothing more. I, saw, I strongly sense that there are people standing in the crossroads this morning. The famine and loss and pressure of either this season or the season gone past may be pressurizing you to flirt with turning back, to, to turn back to what's comfortable, to turn back to uh, what doesn't require much of you. Maybe the famine season have caused you to get offended 
or to, uh, you may have gotten negative advice from even great leaders or great family, but it has led you astray somewhere. Maybe uh, in this season, you're feeling disillusion, disillusion because of delayed dreams. So you think you got to go out and make it happen. I want to remind us all, let's not produce an Ishmael in this season by gleaning into our own understanding rather than seeking the Father. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stay the path. Stay strong. You know, David was in the field when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. God knows where to find you when the timing is ready. Stay faithful. Stay strong. Stay the path. Stay beholding Jesus. Stay beholding Jesus. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. This is such a sobering scripture. This testing season is revealing our strength levels. Have we come undone at our seams or are we strong? I encourage you to keep gleaning from his word. Keep gleaning and beholding Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, so that the pain and the exhaustion of yesterday is making a way of breakthrough in your tomorrows. He is. And I'm going to show you in Ruth chapter 2, we see God's undeniable, unmistakable hand over Ruth's life because of the decision she made to follow Naomi. So Ruth wanders, comes into Bethlehem with Naomi. And Ruth, obviously, this is me paraphrasing, says to her mother-in-law, okay, I'm going to go out and glean, glean some grain from the field so we have food to survive. And so obviously Naomi would have agreed. And then she came into the field and she came, happened to come into a field belonging to a man named Boaz. Now, this is quite interesting for a couple of re reasons. He was a man of prominence. He was known in Bethlehem. And he is a family member of uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And it's quite crazy that she happened to walk into that exact field. I mean, not sure if you see this, but it's such a revelatory moment. It's such an eye-opening moment that um, it's a daily reminder that when we make a commitment to follow God and when we draw a line in the sand, nothing just so happens. There's no such thing as luck for a believer. In Ruth's instance, God led her with the divine plan into Boaz's field because God knew where he was going to take Ruth and Naomi. She may have not understood the significance of her situation, but when she made that commitment, God's hand was on her life. And guess what? That day when she came to the field, Boaz happened to be there. And it's quite unusual because he had workers working for him and he didn't need to be there, but he happened to be there. And guess what? When God is orchestrating his plans behind the scene. You don't even have to get involved. He's putting things together even without us knowing it. It's like when Abraham and Isaac went up that mountain, guess what? God was preparing a lamb on the other side. You know, God is doing something amazing when we are committed to him. So the same day she was in the field, obviously Boaz says, she, he, Ruth must have been so beautiful because 
Uh, Boaz asked one of his worker, workers, who's that young woman in the field? And the worker said, thank you, Sal. And the worker said, um, oh, she's a Moabite woman, woman. And that was very not good back then. But she's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And, you know, obviously explained the whole situation. And Boaz does the unthinkable. You know, Boaz shows a, a kindness and creates opportunity for her to be protected and provided for. And I'll show you soon. I believe Boaz did this for many reasons, but one being maybe Ruth reminded him of his own mother's story. You know who Boaz's mother was? Rahab. And if you are intrigued, go read the story of Rahab. Either way, if you're not seeing is, either way, if you're not seeing this, Boaz is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. What Boaz was to Ruth, Jesus is to us today. Amen. So if you have your Bibles open in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, Boaz goes up to her, goes up to Ruth and says, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you glean or gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to water. They draw from the well. This, right, this word right here, I know I read it quickly, but this right, word right here is for every single one of us, no matter what age we are. When we glean and gather from the right fields, we are protected and we are provided for. This speaks of covering. I know this was warning Ruth, but this was covering. This was headship. We need to be careful what fields you and I are gleaning and extracting our information from. And because the thing is, it can affect our future. It can affect our perspective. It can affect our life. It can affect the way we do life, the way we do community, how we see church, how we see God, how we see our relationships. It affects every area. I've seen people being confused and disillusioned because they've gleaned stuff from all multiple different fields and it's led them astray. We need to listen to godly advice. Amen. Jesus warned Adam and Eve, Eve not to touch the tree in that garden. We need people like Boaz in our midst that we can listen and walk under their headship and their covering. Submission isn't a bad word, guys. It has nothing to do with control. It has to do with covering and wisdom. It has to do with covering and wisdom. I mean, in our desire to learn more and learn quick, we may glean from somebody and we don't even know their life. We don't know their fruits. They might be leading you to their ways rather than Christ's way. That's why Jesus says, judge every tree by its fruit. Fruits such as honor, kindness, generosity, submission, does not boast, is not proud, does not delight in evil. It matters where we glean from and we extract our information from because we could fall prey to deception, misleading, corruption. <laughs> like Ruth, we need to stay in the field with other experienced believers in order to glean from their wisdom. That's in verse 8. Could I say this? 
in this pandemic season, there are so many voices coming out saying that the church is irrelevant or it's going to look different. Maybe it's going to look different, but I believe if we start adding to the Bible and start discarding the Word of God rather than building upon it, we will fall prey to deception. That's why it's important for us to understand that the Lord had designed the local church as a covering, as a distributional system. Yes, Jesus is a systems man. He gave out so much through the church. And in order to understand, we need, it, we need to devour the Word of God. One of the purposes of the local church is to protect the believer from gleaning and gathering uh, wrong information from wrong peers, wrong friends, wrong leaders even, and even wrong YouTube messages, if I could say that. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, hear and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand, stand by, be at hand and ready, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcomed or unwelcome. You as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong and convince them, rebuke them, correct them, warn them, urging them, encouraging them. And it goes on and on. Jesus intended us living our transformed lives in community. Let's not get that wrong. Boaz said, stay close to the women in my field, women on the field. And being a pastor for 30 years, I agree with this sentiment 100%. You know, we can be compassionate and kind to every single person, but not everyone should be able to speak into our life. Not everyone. So anyway, let's move along with the story. So Ruth comes home to Naomi with so much grain because Boaz was generous. And Naomi starts saying, Ruth, Ruth, where did you glean from? Where did you work? In the same sentence, she asked, where, where did you work? work? Where did you get so much grain? Because she bought an unimaginable amount of grain back home. And um you're starting to see this bitter woman's heart is beginning to change. Because when she came to Bethlehem, she told the Bethlehemites, call me Mara, because she felt that she went out full, but she came in, back into Bethlehem empty. You see, we cannot blame God for our own mistakes when we're facing them, especially when we've leaned into our own understanding and we've consulted ourselves you know, but God is still faithful. What Naomi didn't see was that God had placed Ruth as a gift in Naomi's life. You, every single person here, right here, look to your left and to your right. You're a gift in community. You're a gift to one another. Without each other, we cannot accomplish it. We got to pull out the gems right out of them. Now Naomi's beginning to see the overflow of God's faithfulness through Ruth. You know why? Because Ruth was devoted to Naomi. Ruth basically stayed while Oprah left. Ruth proved to be faithful. Ruth proved to be hardworking. And oh, how the roles have changed. Initially, Ruth was gleaning from Naomi, but now Naomi is gleaning and extracting through Ruth's faithfulness and devotion. It is so important we take stock as to who we hang out with. Are those closest to you leading you towards seeing God's goodness or are they reinforcing bitterness? 
It's crucial that the people we follow and we get advice from love Jesus and they are committed to Jesus and they're not tainted. And it's not, uh, you know, it's clear as daylight that their heart is sold out for Jesus. We're called to be influencers, but we cannot be influencers if we're gleaning from the wrong field and poisoning all the other fields. You know, uh, we cannot glean from the wrong people that, you know, negate the word of God and the principles of God. So just let's take stock in this season. Can I ask a question this morning? What kind of a feelings and emotions does your friends and leaders evoke in you when you glean from them, when you extract with them, when you spend time with them? You know, do their lives lead you to fall more in love with Jesus and his goodness and his faithfulness? Or do they reinforce the drama and the bitterness of this present world and against the church and the leadership? And, you know, they look okay in the surface, but underneath they're speaking other stuff. In this season of famine and tension, we need to gauge who we're spending time with. Naomi may have been bitter, but Ruth got her restored. Restored in her love for God. Restored her as a mother in her finances. Restored her in her faith. Restored her from being bitter back to pleasant and sweet. You know, in a nutshell, Ruth's story tells us that Ruth went to rewrite history. And I want every single one of us to rewrite history. You know why? This Moabite woman who was raised in an idolatrous nation became a Jewess. She became the wife of Boaz, the mother of Abed, and the grandmother of Jesse, and the great-grandmother of King David. Because who she chose to glean from, it is important. You know, the little foxes spoil the vine. So important. So who you, who you and I choose to glean from, gather counsel from, ask advice from, ask prayer from, it is very, very important. See, the Jewish Tamal tells us that how Opus' story played out, and it's very wild. But I cannot uh, say how accurate it is because it's not in the Bible. But it, t- it tells us that when Opus left Naomi, guess what? She goes back to her homeland and she gives birth to four sons. And there were four giants. And the, uh, the first giant's name is Goliath. It's pretty interesting. Both these women's sto- women story played out. They sat at the, started at the same path, but ended up in two different corners of the world. Ruth, I mean, Ruth's path led to complete redemption and wholeness and love and a marriage and being the great-grandmother of the um, the greatest king that ever uh, sat on the throne of Israel. Whereas Opa's son, Goliath, died on the field, mocking God at the hands of a young shepherd boy called David, which was the great-grandson of Ruth. How is your history going to play out? How's your history going to play out? Oprah had potential of great seed within her. She had great seeds of potential, but she weakened. And she took the same zeal and the same potential to the other side. And she faced the consequences. I want to say that when we make a commitment to follow God and not look back, God is faithful. He's honoring. Anything we give to God, He doesn't make it worse. He makes it better. I wrote here, God honors, those who, uh, God honors those who honor him. God honors those who trust his word. He's a rewarder 
of those who trust his word. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I mean, the moment, thinking about the moment Ruth, the moment Ruth decided to cut ties with her past was the moment that the hand of God was poised for her future. And, you know, when Ruth met Boaz that day on the field, it was no coincidence whatsoever. All she had to do was follow Naomi's God and she was about to step into God's divine plan. All you and I have to do is follow God's plan and we will walk into His divine plan. And 1 Corinthians 2.19 says, I'm finishing, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Obedience is not easy, but it's necessary for our preparation. What's necessary also is that we need to take stock where we're gleaning from in this season. Because either we want to be history makers or either we want to go on to the other side. But I believe God is wanting to make the church even brighter than ever before. So He's wanting to instruct His church and He's wanting to bring His church along and, you know, uh, make them, you know, understand that we need to glean from His Word. We need to extract Him, uh, extract from the mirror of God's Word. We need to behold Him every single day. Uh, when you feel like you're coming undone and you're getting busy and you feel like you're doing things out of your own strength, you need to sit down not be a Martha. We need Marthas in the church, let me tell you. But you need to take a moment. You need to pause and be a Mary momentarily uh, because it is Mary who's going to give you the strength, not Mary herself. But being a Mary is what's going to give you the strength to be a Martha. What are we beholding? Who are we seeing? Are we seeing Jesus? Are the people that we are hanging out with in our friendships and in our family members, are they reflecting Jesus? I'm not saying that you need to leave your family members far from it, but you need to sift and you need to say, well, I'm going to flush that negativity. I'm going to flush that word. I'm not going to receive it because it does not align with the word of God. Psalms 119, 37 to 38 says, Turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Does what we are beholding produce reverence? It's the TV shows we're watching. Is it producing reverence? Or are we watching stuff saying, no, that doesn't affect me? Is the conversations we're having, is it producing reverence? Because we become what we behold. Honestly, I can say that I am not perfect. I'm far from it. I had a hectic week, a crazy week. And I was losing, my plot, uh, uh, losing the plot with my youngest this morning, if I could be vulnerable. But I cannot be a mother, the mother God has called me to be physically to my children if I'm not beholding the Father. I cannot be the pastor that God has called me to be alongside my husband to this church if I'm not beholding the, uh, 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 Jesus primarily. Can we stand to our feet, please? I believe it's time to tear down tear down, tear down, tear down. 
it's time to draw a line in the sand. Can I have all eyes closed, please, for a moment? This is going to look weird or it's going to feel weird, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to get whatever pointy finger or other finger and say, Father, I'm drawing, drawing a line in the sand. You physically move your finger, say, Father, this morning. Do you want the Word of God to produce fruit in you? Then I know you will do it. So you just, while all eyes are closed, you just move your finger and say, Father, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Enough is enough. I need to realign my thoughts, my heart, my motives back unto you, the author, the perfecter of faith. I'm realigning, realigning. Jesus. There's so much more. <laughs> There's so much more. He's wanting to crush, crush. And He's also wanting to revive. He wants to crush and demolish things that have tried to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. And He's going to want to bring a refreshing this morning. Come on, let's raise our hands. been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.